welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. I wanted to share something with you that has been happening recently um, at Lighthouse Community and really across our family of churches um, is this, is that uh, over the last five weeks, we know of at least 23 people who have said yes to Jesus by faith right here at Lighthouse Community. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome. It actually started Christmas Eve night when we gathered for worship. There were six people who said yes. And then since then, every time we've gathered, at least one person has come to faith. And in fact, last Sunday at Bluffton Community, we know of six people uh, who said yes to Jesus there. So uh, just absolutely amazing what God is doing among our family. Um, and, and I think what's cool about that is God, like God's using you right? Like you're inviting your friends and your family and the people that you work with uh, to know who Jesus is and to trust him. And God's using this church family to transform lives. And, and I think that one of the reasons that this is happening and why God is using us the way that he is, is because people are looking for hope and they're looking for comfort because life is hard, right? And people need comfort in what they're going through. And so there's, there's what I, I call um, everyday hard, right? And so it's just the stuff we mess with every day. It's like maintaining friendships, where sometimes that's really hard. Uh, the stress that comes up at work, uh, raising kids, the price of eggs, right? Like, ev- like every day we're just yeah. facing something uh, that's weighing us down. So that's everyday hard. But then there's what I like to call extra hard. And so what this is, is this is the stuff that just comes on top of every day. Uh, It doesn't happen every day, but it's the things like you get news that a family member of yours has been diagnosed with a very significant illness, right? That's extra hard. Uh, Maybe all of a sudden you become very, very aware that you feel like your life is drifting without purpose and meaning. That's extra hard. Uh, Maybe you're stressing over the things that are happening around our nation or across the whole globe, and there's uncertainty with that. That's extra hard on top of the everyday hard. And and what I've noticed, and maybe you have too to some degree, is that when life gets hard, our culture has taught us some solutions on how to handle the everyday hard or the extra hard that comes our way. And so it's solutions like this. Hey, find the internal strength within you to overcome this really hard moment, right? Like, you can do it, right? You just need a a more positive attitude, and you can accomplish anything, right? Um, Or another solution is when hard shows up, just run away, right? Like, run, go start a new life, uh, just start fresh somewhere else, and that's how you handle hard when it comes. Uh, or uh, maybe for some of you, it's like ignoring, like when, when the trials come, do what you can to distract yourself from them, right? Ignore them by doubling down on your favorite hobby, right? It's like video games, social. Uh, maybe you go further into things like using, you know, alcohol or drugs or sex to try to curb uh, the the you know, uneasiness that you're facing in your trials and in your struggles. Um, my favorite, though, that I think I see very many people engage in when, when life gets hard is just complain about it, right? Yeah. 
Like, put a, put a post on social media, and then it's like a magnet for everybody to come and add whatever complaints to it. Or better yet, like, uh, gather all of your friends together for breakfast and just complain, right? Like, complain about it all. Complain about the government, and complain about the weather, and complain about the millennials, and complain about the boomers, and complain about the bosses, and the employees, and everything, right? And just, just rant and complain about it. And what I found is whether you try to resist run, ignore, or complain, none of that usually helps. It actually doesn't solve anything. And instead of feeling hopeful, we feel hopeless. And we're not comforted. In fact, we're discouraged. And the anxiety weighs on us even more. Fear deepens and increases. And what I think is I think people are looking for hope. People are looking for comfort. And I think that God is using this church family to point people to hope and comfort that is only found in Jesus Christ alone. And so today what I want to show you from the Bible is two truths about how one person dealt with the trials and the suffering in his life. And then I also want to show you one decision that you can make today that will absolutely transform how you handle and navigate the trials in your life. And in fact, that one decision God can use to affect the lives of those around you as well. And so, are you guys ready to dive in this morning? All right, let's make this happen. So as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you uh, will, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6 or click over there on your device. We are uh, wrapping up this series called Guilt Gone. And and I hope that over the last uh, three weeks, what you've seen is that the only way to be set free from the guilt that's weighing you down is you have to be set free from that which guilt attaches itself to. Guilt never travels by itself. It's always a backpack on the back of sin. And so if you're going to be set free from your guilt, you actually have to be set free from your sin first, right? And so that's what that looks like, because God's holiness can actually set you free from your sin and from your guilt. So before we read, I do want to take a moment and just pray together. So let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we want to thank you so much that your word is full of your character. You've revealed yourself overwhelming. Uh, overwhelmingly with clarity, and we would ask you, would you do that again here this morning? Would you speak to us through the truth of Scripture? Would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, just uh, speaking directly to uh, the depths of who we are? Um, I pray that you would uh, speak to us through community as we're together and we're encouraging each other and, and, and we're speaking words of truth into each other's lives. We simply ask that more than anybody else here today, would people meet you? May they sense you uh, clearly in our gathering. We love you. We long for you to do that which only you can do. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Okay, we're going to start in Isaiah 6, right in verse 1, and I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. You can follow along with the version that you have, and it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the entire temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory." 
And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people. And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And we've been looking at this passage for the last three weeks, and we're looking at it one more time together. And so uh, I want to share, the first truth that I want to share with you today is this, is that Isaiah faced trials in his life. Isaiah faced trials in his life. And so you have to understand that Isaiah's life was hard, and he lived in a very challenging time. And you actually don't even have to travel outside of Isaiah chapter 6 to see what some of Isaiah's challenges were. In fact, he starts chapter 6, verse 1. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, this is way more than, well, this is about what year it happened, and this is what I'm talking about. Instead, what that might be better translated is this. In the time when all of Judah was uncertain of what our future was going to hold. That's really what he's communicating here. We didn't know what is going to happen next. Because you have to understand that under King Uzziah's leadership, the southern kingdom of Judah experienced overwhelming stability, prosperity, right? They were a strong nation in this time and in this moment. But what happened is over time, pride crept into King Uzziah's life. And Uzziah started doing things that kings shouldn't do. And, and what happened was spiritual decay and moral decay began to spread all throughout the leadership of Judah. And in fact, King Uzziah died from leprosy as a part of judgment for his own sin, for his rebellion against God. So you've got that going on. Then, on top of that, you have Judah who is living under constant fear and pressure from another nation called Assyria, right, who was threatening to come and dominate them. And Assyria was just a ruthless nation. When they came in and conquered, they dominated, they tore a nation apart. And so that, that's looming over top of Isaiah and Judah at this time. And so there is national uncertainty of what in the world is going to happen next to our country. 
So that's at a higher level. But then you've got Isaiah is also facing uh, just personal guilt in his own life. Because if you remember from week one, it's like in the light of God's holiness, Isaiah became keenly aware of his own sin and the guilt that comes with that because of his unrighteousness before God. And and Isaiah thought he was going to die in God's presence, right? God shows up, and what's Isaiah's first words? Woe to me! Woe to me! I'm ruined! I'm going to die! I'm going to be destroyed in the presence of this holy God, right? He says, for I am a man of unclean lips, I also think unclean underwear right now, right? Like he's like, he is freaking out, right? Like he's good. I'm not going to live. Like the holiness of God has shown up and I deserve to be destroyed. Can you imagine the weight that Isaiah felt recognizing his own sin in the presence of God's holiness? And so that's at a personal level. And then Isaiah had to deal with the challenge of being called into a controversial ministry. I think what happens is we look back on the ministry of the prophets from today, and we go, oh, the prophets. These were amazing people. These were like the social influencers of the day, right? These were the darlings of culture who are speaking God's words to them. Like, no, actually, that's not at all how prophets were viewed in their day. Prophets were hated. Nobody wanted to hear what the prophets had to say, right? They were unpopular. Why? Because they usually spoke hard truth to the nation that they were prophesying to. I think oftentimes we think about the book of Isaiah, if you're familiar with it, and we remember some of the truths that Isaiah preached, like um, a virgin will give birth to a son. And we're like, oh, you know, Christmas time, that's so, you know, so wonderful. And unto us a child is born, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, you know, Mighty God. And, and we look at those, and we forget that Isaiah also preached that all of Judah will be burned, and whatever survives will be burned again. And you get to the end of Isaiah, and it says that the dead bodies will litter the roads as we pass by them as they're rotting, and everybody will look upon it. These are the hard truths that Isaiah was teaching, and quite frankly, the people of Judah were not interested in hearing what Isaiah had to say, right? Not at all. In fact, in chapter 28 of Isaiah, verses 9 and 10, Isaiah gives us a little bit of an idea of what some of the response was from the people of his day, right? So uh, this was like the, the leaders and the rulers and the people of influence are responding with Isaiah's message, and they said this, You know, to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And and let me help you understand what they're saying. They're going, Isaiah is teaching like, basic morality for babies, right? This is like for kindergarten class, you teach them, you know, to say the right stuff and and never lie and always obey your parents. Isaiah doesn't understand that sometimes you got to do bad stuff to make good stuff happen, right? Sometimes you actually have to rebel against God to be able to walk in alignment with God, right? And, And they're going, this is such basic level stuff. And verse 10 can seem a little bit confusing at times, Um, And so, uh, actually, some scholars have said, uh, better than translated precept upon precept, line upon line, that it's actually better translated this way. Blah, 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 meh, 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 yada, 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 right? Like, that's actually what they're saying, okay? Oh, Isaiah's message? Yeah, that's right. Blah, 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 whatever. We're not listening to you, Isaiah. We don't really care what you have to say. They're mocking him. 
right? And so people did not want to hear what God had to say through Isaiah. And so you just need to know that Isaiah faced really significant trials in his life from a large level, from a personal level, even in his ministry too. And can you imagine the anxiety that Isaiah suffered in his life? Because he knew that King Uzziah's death was a precursor to what was getting ready to happen to the nation of Judah. That Judah was going to be decimated, right? Just, just totally obliterated. It's going to face a horrifying end like Uzziah. And Isaiah knew that people would hear his message, they would reject his message, and they would turn hard-hearted towards him and towards the Lord. And he knew that. And Isaiah knew that Judah was going to be cut down, clear-cut like a forest, and then burned, and then ravaged again and again. And nothing would be left but stumps. That his friends, his family, his co-workers, right? The people in his community would reject him as crazy. This is the weight that Isaiah lived with throughout his life. And so the question gets begged, how did he make it through this? How, how, did, how was he sustained through all of this? And, and that's the second truth for us. It's this, is that Isaiah relied on God to comfort him through his trials. Isaiah relied on God to comfort him through his trials. You see, when Isaiah thought about the national uncertainty that everyone in Judah was facing, it was God's presence that brought Isaiah comfort. Think about this. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died and everybody's freaking out, he says, let me tell you how God showed up. And how does God show up in Isaiah 6? He shows up in power and glory, high and exalted, seated on the throne. His robe, just the hem of his robe is filling the entire temple. And the seraphim are saying, the whole earth is full of his glory. What's God communicating about himself? I'm king. I'm in charge. I know you're worried about Uzziah but I'm the true king and I have a plan and you don't have to be worried, right? And that brought Isaiah comfort. When Isaiah became aware of his own sin is overwhelmed with him, right? It's actually God's forgiveness that brought Isaiah comfort because Isaiah knew that he deserved to be destroyed for his sinfulness. But how does God respond? With graceful forgiveness. He solves Isaiah's deepest problem. He solves his sin, and with his sin, his guilt goes. And so this brought Isaiah comfort to be able to move forward and to trust the Lord. And when Isaiah realized that God was asking him to step into one of the most controversial ministries that anybody could step into, it was God's hope that was Isaiah's comfort. Because after God shared that people would not understand the message and they would reject the message, Isaiah asked this question. He says, for how long, O Lord? And one scholar says, actually... That's shorthand for a larger question, that is, how will things go, and what will be the end of this? How long will this go, and what will be the end of this? And do you remember God's reply? Total destruction. Total destruction. All that's going to be left is a stump. This is what he says in verse 13. And so you look at verse 13, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be overwhelming destruction. This is going to be overwhelming decimation, right? Anything that makes it's going to be burned again, right? It's all going, it's all going to be felled. But I want you to look at the end of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 13. Actually, let's read this passage out loud together, starting with, and though a tenth remain. Are you ready? Go. And though a tenth remain in it, 
it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is... Okay. God is saying, okay, this whole thing's going to be wiped out. But there's hope. There's a holy seed. It's this tiny little morsel. And if you're not looking for it, actually, you'll miss it completely. But there's this holy seed that's going to come from this stump, that a tiny seed of hope for new life will come from this stump of death. And it was that hope that sustained Isaiah into his ministry. And I imagine that, and this is just from chapter 6, right? Isaiah faced all kinds of other trials, all kinds of other suffering, all kinds of other afflictions that he went through his life. And I imagine that for Isaiah, he actually looked back often to this moment in Isaiah 6, right? That he's like recounting for us. And he's reflecting on the holiness of God and the glory of God and the grace of God that was shown to him. And Isaiah remembered that's the day I met God. Like, for real. That's the day my life was changed. And I have a sense that that is one of the things that sourced Isaiah along the way as he journeyed through his heartache. And so you and I, right, we go through trials and difficult seasons we deal with national uncertainty, right? Inflation is rising, global tensions. We're very aware of our own sin, but way more keenly than we let on, right? Like we're aware of, of how we're living and the things that we're thinking about. And if you're a genuine believer, the reality is, is that you have people in your life who you love deeply and they want nothing to do with God. They don't want to hear about him. They don't want to know anything about Jesus. And, and it's heart-wrenching, to live with that reality, right? And so the question is, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I have a feeling that if Isaiah were here today, he would say something like this. Rely on God as your comfort through your trials. Rely on God as your comfort through your trials. Now, I think to be able to fully understand that thought, we actually have to define this word comfort because in our culture, we've defined comfort as pain-free. And so to bring somebody comfort is to actually take away their pain. And they have no more pain. They have nothing that's weighing down. There's nothing that's in the way. And so we have defined comfort as being pain-free. But when that word was very first being used, right, it's actually a Latin word, you know, of calm and, and fortis, which when you put them together, it means together with, and then fortis is strength. And so comfort is to be together with strength, okay? And, and so that's really where this word, uh, how it originated and what it means. And so it means together strength, meaning that together we can be strong. And, and so when you talk about this God being your comfort, that if you'll rely on God as your comfort, if you'll rely on God, then he will be your together strength. That together with him, you can walk with God through your suffering. You can walk with God through your trials. You can walk with God through your afflictions because he is your together strength. And, and listen, this is so, so important. You have to catch this because nowhere in Scripture does God promise you a pain-free life in this world. There is nowhere 
that God promises a pain-free life in this world. In fact, Jesus promised the exact opposite. He said, in this world, you will have, yeah, trouble, tribulation. You're going to have problems in this life. You know how he finished that off? He said, but take heart. Why? Because I've overcome the world. Because I've overcome the world. And in me, with me, you can have peace. What's he saying? I'll be your together strength. You can find comfort in me when in this world you have trouble and trial and tribulation because God is your together strength. And, and I don't know who you are, but someone in here needs to hear with clarity that you are not alone in the trials and the suffering that you face. You are not alone. God sees you. God is aware. God is with you. And God is inviting you to rely on him in a new way like you never have before, that he would really become your comfort, that he would become your together strength, that you don't have to run from your trials, you don't have to complain about your trials, you don't have to resist them, right? You don't have to ignore them. You can actually walk with God through your trials as he is your together strength. And so the question then becomes, well, how do we do that? How do I rely on God as my comfort, as my together strength? Well, very quickly, we're going to look at five ways that we can rely on God as our comfort. So if you're a note taker, get your pens ready, be ready to scribble, uh, and you're probably going to ask your neighbor, what did he just say? Because I didn't catch it, because uh, we're going to move fairly quickly. Here's the first way we can rely on God as our comfort. You need a clear, a clear view of God's holiness and glory. You need a clear view of God's holiness and glory. This is how Isaiah 6 started, right? He sees God with amazing clarity, and that's what starts this whole thing. But here's, here's the reality is this. You are not going to have an Isaiah 6 experience. Don't ask the Lord for it because he's not going to give it to you, right? You go, how can you know that? Because God has already fully and finally revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the reality is, if you want to see God with clarity, you have to look at Jesus. You have to look at Jesus, Right? You have to see what he, you have to hear what he said. You have to see what he did. And the best place to do that is in the Gospels, right? They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read about his ministry and his life. You see what he did. You read what he said. Because when you see Jesus, you will see God. In fact, to see Jesus is to see the Father. So you need a clear view of God's glory and holiness. The second way to rely on God as your comfort is to worship God through your trials. Worship God through your trials. This is what the seraphim were doing. This is what Isaiah did. When we're talking about worship, I'm not necessarily saying sing. I think that's fine. That's appropriate. But when you look in Isaiah 6, you see the seraphim, you see Isaiah, they're just so focused on God. They're just dialed in. They go, yeah, all of this is real. All this is going on. But the Lord, his glory, his holiness, his greatness is overwhelming me in this moment. And I just have to look upon him. I've got to worship him in his awe and in his greatness, right? And when you worship God through your trials, what you're communicating to God and to others and even to yourself is this, that God is more powerful than your suffering. That God is greater than any trial you'll ever face in this world. And so I would invite you to worship God through your trials. Here's the third way you're going to rely on God as your together strength. 
Celebrate God's gift of forgiveness. Celebrate his gift of forgiveness. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, you have already received the greatest blessing that you could ever have in your life, right? And so if you have forgiveness in Christ, that also means you now have the Holy Spirit living within you. And that also means you now have a friendship with God that lasts for eternity and can never be taken away, right? You have the greatest gift that you could ever receive is the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ and everything that goes with that, reconciliation and adoption and right, like looking forward to eternity and that which is still to come. It's amazing, right? And so this is why one of the reasons I think when you read through the scriptures, you see the writers of scripture saying, hey, resist complaining about your situation because you got to know there's one that's so much better still on the way and celebrate what God has already done. The fourth way you can rely on God through your trials is this, is to ask God for understanding in your trials. Ask God for understanding in your trials. If you'll remember, Isaiah asked God questions about the ministry that he was stepping into, okay? He says, how long? How's this going to go and when will it end? And I want you to notice something, that when Isaiah asked God a question, God never got mad. He didn't get angry. He's not like, how dare you ask me questions? How dare you question my authority? That's not what's going on. Isaiah's got questions. You know what God did? He answered them. He answered Isaiah's questions about what was going on. Here's what you and I can know, is that you can ask God for wisdom and for understanding through and during your trials. That's what James chapter 1, verse 5 is all about, is that you can ask God for wisdom and believe and know that he's going to give it to you. In fact, James 1 starts out this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials and temptations of any kind. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. And then you get to verse 5, and it's like, ask the Lord for wisdom when you're in the midst of those trials. When you're struggling, when you're facing affliction, anxiety, suffering, all that, you can ask God for wisdom and trust that he will give it to you. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to answer every question you ask him the way that you want him to answer it. But it does mean he will guide you and grant you wisdom through your trials. And here's the last way that you're going to rely on God through your trials. I'm going to, I'm going to set it up and then I'm going to share what the last point is. Is that no matter how hard it gets, no matter how bleak the situation is becoming, no matter how much you want to throw in the towel, that you would remember that God's story always ends in hope. God's story always ends in hope. And I want to say something, I want to say it very specifically, and it's this. God always rescues his people. God always defends his children. And here's what that means, that if you are in Christ, and even if you lose your life here, that even if you go through the most significant suffering and affliction and trial that anybody could ever come up with in this life, if you are in Christ, your story will always end in hope and in victory, because God will rescue you to himself in eternity and in heaven with him. Think about that. One day, you will see him face to face. One day, you will embrace Jesus. If you're in Christ, there is always hope. 
Remember that, that even when the tree is cut down, that there is hope in Christ. Now, these five ways to rely on God as your comfort through your trials, a clear view of God, right? Worshiping him through your trials, celebrating the the gift of forgiveness, um, asking for understanding and remembering that there's always hope with God. I want you to notice something. These are all ways that Jesus relied on God through his life and through his ministry. Now, Jesus... The third one, you're going, what in the world? How can he celebrate the gift of forgiveness? He was celebrating that he was going to be able to give it as a gift, right? He didn't need forgiveness himself, but he was celebrating the fact that he was going to be able to give that away as a gift to you and to me and to all who would put their faith in him. And so because Jesus already has, now you can, right? Now you can. And so rely on God as your comfort through trials, And I mentioned that when you make this decision, God actually can use that to affect the lives around you. And so when you learn how to rely on God as your comfort, you can help others encounter God's comfort too. And so here's what I would encourage you. If you're a follower of Christ, I would encourage you to consider taking this next step this week. And it's simply this. Reach out to at least one friend with the intention of helping them to know God, right? Reach out to at least one friend with the intention of helping them to know God. And, and I know some of you, you're already going, oh, you know, I, I can't breathe. I'm feeling the suffering now. I'm, I'm freaking out, like all the things that that involves. But it's actually way, way more simple than you think that it is, right? Like one, it, it could just look like building a friendship, you know? So Christine and I, we have a neighbor uh, in, in our neighborhood. That's why they're a neighbor. And, and so, but we have been getting to know our neighbor, Ray, right? We have been, you know, like just, introducing ourselves. We'll, we took him out to lunch. We'll you know, t- hang out with him at his house. We'll, Christina takes baked goods over there. And, and we just check in. We're just being present with Ray. And, and nothing amazing has happened. We're just we're getting to know Ray. We're building a friendship. But that's an intentional way to, to help somebody know God you know, a little bit further down the road. Uh, you could pray for somebody, right? Just offer to pray for someone. I'm, I'm coaching uh, Hendrix's fifth grade uh, basketball team right now. Which, which I lovingly called controlled chaos. And so, um, but, but I, I got a text from one of, uh, one of the moms this last week, and she said, hey, my son's not going to be there. He's sick. He's not doing well. Um, so sorry. And so I replied back, um, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm going to be praying for him and for you. And so she just replied back really quickly. Oh, wow, thank you so much. That was it, right? That's just a simple way. Right? You could invite a friend to, to come with you to church or to come to you or to come with you to your small group. In fact, next Sunday, we're launching a new teaching series called Heaven and Hell, answering questions about eternity. And the reality is that whether you're a Christian or not, everybody thinks about this stuff. They're like, what, what's going to happen after I die? What, is there something after I die? What does that mean? What does that look like? All of those types of things. And so we're, we're going to be unpacking that for a few weeks. And this is one way, just a simple invitation can be a way that you can share God's comfort with others too. But, but I hope that you have seen that our comfort can't come from personal wealth. Our, our comfort can't come because... The guy we agree with politically is in charge now. Our comfort can't come because our our economy is stabilizing and improving. 
right? Like that, that can't be our comfort. Our comfort has to come from the God who is seated on the throne in holiness and glory. That the train of his robe fills the temple and the whole earth is full of his glory. That has to be where our comfort comes from alone. Because when that happens, it will change our lives. And it will change the lives of other people too. And as I was preparing for this teaching, I was thinking about us as a church family and what God's been doing for the last five weeks or so. Um, and I started thinking, you know, I, I dream of a church that is not only present in the extra hard, but we'd be present in the everyday hard of each other's lives and the lives of people who are looking for hope. I dream of a church that runs to other people with the together strength of God. I dream of a church that resists complaining and instead actually chooses to worship the Lord through heartache and through suffering, knowing that he is the gift and there's nothing greater than to walk with him. And when we learn to rely on God as our comfort, what ends up happening is we can share that with other people as well. The people we love, the people we care about, the people we know. All of that takes place. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and, and simply ask this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And then I just want you to listen to him for a moment. everybody here in the house just to kind of stay in a mode of prayer, leaving your thoughts to be focused on the Lord. And I want to share just a couple instructions as we're getting ready to wrap up. One of the things that we want to do when we gather is to actually to be together strength, to, to share together strength, to share God's comfort with one another as we gather because we're all, we're all going through things. It can be everyday hard, it can be extra hard. And so we gather together to point people to the comfort that comes from God alone. And one of the ways that we do that regularly is, is praying for each other. So let me give you instructions on what's going to happen here in just a moment. The band's actually making their way up on stage now, and they're going to lead us in one more song. And it's during this last song that we're going to have prayer leaders available for you in each corner of the room to pray with you about any area of your life at all. And so I'm actually going to ask those prayer leaders if you'll start making your ways to those corners now so that people can see that you're ready and available to pray with them. And they'll be wearing a badge that says prayer team, and so that'll be one way that you'll be able to identify them and, and see them. But we want to pray about any area of your life. And, and please don't ever be embarrassed to want to receive prayer, right? Because every one of us needs prayer. I need prayer. All of the pastor mats in our church need prayer. All the mats, right, <laughs> need prayer. Um, and so this is actually a way that we can give comfort to one another. We can share God's together strength through prayer. And so if you're here in the house, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I'd like you to stand with me and prepare for worship. 
And at any time during this song, if you'd like to come and receive prayer, you can come. But let me pray for you first. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer, every single person who is seeking comfort from you, every person who wants to learn how how to rely on you in a fresh way today. I pray that you would draw them by your Spirit. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.